Kevin, and I'm joined as always with my co-host Devin D'Agostino. Devin, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well, Kevin. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. Good. Uh, love the uh, love the uh, energy. We're going late today. We've never recorded this late before. We're going late. This is after hours. After hours. Eight jazz comes in. Uh-huh. Um. <laughs> So we may have already stopped making sense, but we're going to continue to stop making sense in just a minute. And what that means is every episode, Dev and I choose a new Talking Head song to analyze and ponder. And we let our minds wander and take us to uncharted realms of science and comedy and music, where we answer such burning questions as, who took the money? Who took the money away? Where? Where is my common sense? Why stay in college? Why go to night school? And most importantly, where is that large automobile? All this and more coming up on Devin and Kevin Stop Making Sense. Devin, today's episode, and she was, off the 1985 album Little Creatures, hence the haze in the beginning. Um, that's how the song ah, that's, I was like, why are you screaming haze? But that makes a lot of sense. All right. <laughs> I obviously didn't listen to the song enough times, but I'm back. I get it. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't hear that part where you said I missed hey. that part. Oh, it's right in the beginning. I'm I'm worried now that you even clicked on the song or re-listened to the right one. Well, I love that intro. It's so instantly recognizable. Yeah. You can play literally the first second of the song. And mm-hmm. people are like, oh, yes, this is And She Was. I always like to think, play those little games of like, what's an instantly recognizable song? Do you have any off the top of your head? I'm stuck on the Hey thing because I'm reminded of that Pixie song, you know, where they go at the beginning, Hey been trying to beat you but i can't remember the name of the song even though i know instantly know what that song is it might be maybe it's called hey yeah it's called hey by the pixies oh, it's called hey there you go okay so that's a song that i instantly recognize from the first song. keeping with the haze i think hey jude uh three songs i thought of within the first seconds you can have to play like a one second clip and people would be able to catch it okay good times bad times by led zeppelin oh yeah hard day's night that first opening chord by the beatles and mm-hmm. I did Three Little Birds by Bob Marley. Yeah. yeah. A little, like, yo, drum roll. Blister in the Sun by Violent Femmes. Oh, yeah. That's that a good one. And, and, but it's, <laughs> you brought up those three songs because I was, after we listed Hey Jude, Hey, and And She Was, I was like, maybe the fact, like, because that's three songs with Hey, maybe all songs we recognize instantly have Hey in the beginning. We just proved that wrong. But I was like, maybe the Hey, right? It's like, Hey, it gets your attention. Oh, hey. Then you listen to the song. Hey, hey, what's up? Yeah, yeah. I guess that's a, it's a great way to start a song. I was just up there, you know, right before this. I was unloading groceries with my, my pops, and we had it playing on the Alexa. And uh, nice, he, like, we restarted it three times because my dad was in a band. You know, he'd play the, the local bars of New Jersey. Yeah. And he's like, this is a great song to open with. You know, everyone's sitting up at the bar kind of facing away. There's like a clatter of, you know, beer bottles and some low murmur. And then you're like, hey. You just go into that song and was like, oh, hello. Hello, yeah. band, and hey, right back. Because it forces your attention, right? You say, hey, hey, what's up? What do you need? Yeah. So there you go. Our advice for any songwriters out there, start with a hey or a hello or excuse me. Or maybe shout like fire. <laughs> excuse me? Um, excuse excuse me. me. I'd like to sing right now. Um, <laughs> fire. <laughs> <laughs> don't you have fire fire oh my god <laughs> where it's kind of like when you're in a car like driving in a car late at night and then the song maybe it's like a hip-hop song or a you know a, an edm song has a siren in the back and you're like whoa yeah it really perks up and, and all of a sudden you're back in the moment well this has been the devin and kevin help you write songs playlist uh lesson of the day is hey hey say hey Hello. thanks everyone see you till next time all right <laughs> all right so we got past the first word <laughs> what what now i had more for hey oh yeah i was like this was our sister podcast devin and kevin oh, you know i had a joke there i lost it it was gonna do with horses i'm sure it was great like, we, it's all right it's <laughs> gone it's gone let's get back to the song <laughs> we got the hey and then we have and we talk a lot about david byrne on this podcast i gotta give a shout out to chris france and tina weymouth for laying down one of the nicest simplest but ultimately recognizable intro rhythms. It's just you instantly get behind the song and it's so simple, especially that drum beat. Just that little pause 
is takes it away from a standard drum beat. Even though it's still rock, still on top of the beat, it's just so unique to the song that if anyone else tried to play it, they're like, oh, you're doing the end she was drum beat. Right, right. Something else I was thinking about it too, just from the beginning with like that. Because like when I was looking into the album, they said a big inspiration for this was Americana. And you can tell just by the Little Creatures album cover, like it does, it looks like that Americana artwork. Yeah. And I was listening for like, maybe where country was infused into the music. And I sort of got that from that initial beat too. Feeling a groove and able to find your own natural rhythm to the song. You can run to this, you can dance around your house to this. Yeah, yeah, like very relaxed by a campfire. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, a little yeah, campfire. Right? A little bit. Yeah, it's great. And we, so far we talked about dancing in your house, going for a run, and you know, singing this in a bar, still so malleable, where this song can adjust and be played and be successful in a lot of different locations, which I think is ultimately a sign of a great song. Yeah, totally. And I'm also thinking SpongeBob right off the bat, the campfire nice. song song. Yes. Which I think uh, David Byrne quoted as one of his major influences for the song was the campfire song song off of the camping episode of SpongeBob. Yeah, you can definitely hear it too. Great song. <laughs> song. Rip, ripped your pants. <laughs> which is a great, you know, speak of Americana. Yeah, really. Ripped, ripped my pants off the SpongeBob season one soundtrack. Definitely a, a fan favorite. <laughs> a lot of gems on that one. I watched, um, so I watched a live video of, of David Byrne singing the song. You may have seen okay. the same one. It's not with the Talking Heads. It's a little later in his career. And he introduces yeah. it by saying, this is a song about a girl he knew that used to do LSD in a field by a YooHoo chocolate drink factory. Right, that's right. The, what the song is about. And I was like, oh, explains the first few lines for sure. Yeah. And it gives a little deeper meaning. I, read, I came across something similar, too, that he talked about. It was like a woman who was taking LSD. And it's interesting, too, because Chris France had a different interpretation of it. I'm not sure his role in writing the actual lyrics of the song, but he d discussed it as a woman who has the power to fly around. He took it pretty literally. A woman who has the power to fly around freely, and the narrator is in love with her and wishes she'd just, like, come be on the ground with him for a while, oh, yes. which I thought was a cool interpretation. I, I like both of those. And, you know, we've talked about this in the past of talking head songs becoming so ingrained in their own interpretive meanings to the individual. Mm -hmm. We're almost, we're worried that introducing our own interpretations of this song would upset people because people are like, I already have my interpretation. She's flying yeah. around. This has nothing to do with LSD. Get out of here. <laughs> but why not both, as they say? Right, right. And it's interesting, too, because I always like to check out the music video if there is one and see, because sometimes music videos, I think, are completely random. They have something... Un not related to the song at all but this one basically follows the lyrics word for word like every lyric there is it shows the image of it on the um during the video it's a little avant-garde yeah. but it's like literally showing the images and throughout it you have i can't think of the exact artist who does it but it's sort of like a collage sort of thing mm -hmm. where you put the pictures over a still background and you like move the pictures around uh, okay so i, I can imagine yourself yeah yeah so it's a really cool video but it, it is exactly like with the Burn songs, a lot of different interpretations, like with the good thing, right? Who would have thought that it was based on one of the little red books from communist China? This is pretty, not, I don't want to say surface level, but it's there. You know, it's there for the taking. Whether yeah, it is yeah. a girl on drugs or someone flying around, the lyrics are the lyrics in the song. So what I'm saying is making point. sense. Regardless of it's, if it's magical where someone's flying, or if it's based on a true person, it's still literal and truth. It's literally about a girl. It's literally about a girl that's flying. Yeah. That's what the lyrics say. It's a great point. I took it as more the psychedelic aspect of it. Totally. I think it's kind of a psychedelic song. Yeah. This is 1985. This isn't the height of psychedelics. Uh, you know, if this was made in 1965. But... I think it's a different kind of psychedelic song. Another comparison that we can make might be off of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, released in the Summer of Love, 1967. That might be the height of true psychedelia, where it seems to be told from the perspective of someone on psychedelics, you know, floating through these wonderful psychedelic 
nature scapes. This one is told, this one being, and she was, is told from the non-psychedelic user's perspective. He's observing this person who's experiencing it. And I like that because you're able to get how the energy of someone else is impacting another. And I just like that whole aspect of a passing of energy. And there's a lot of female energy as well. I mean, of course, he uses the she pronoun and her and he's talking about it. But I still think the speaker is male. So that's just my basic interpretation. That's what I liked about the song. Thoughts? Yeah, I like that a lot. I didn't think of it like that because I definitely got like the transcendence and maybe the she's on drugs and she's floating about. But it's interesting that you point out that it's the narrator is just someone who's observing it. So it's cool to think about too, right? Because if it was like from her perspective, and actually the music video does this too, the music video does it from her perspective. So her flying over her town, you can only see her hands and her feet as she's looking through things. So it's interesting that they choose that music video. But for him, right, if we do assume that this is some girl on a NASA trip, in her mind, she's flying around. For him, he's just looking at some girl laying in a field who's yeah. probably like in a trance-like state. So it's totally, adds a whole different meaning to the song. But at the same time, sort of like, the more I look at the lyrics, the more I feel this way too. Even though it's not grounded, it's in the sky, it is sort of grounded, right? Like the lyrics are very, each statement, you know, you can envision yourself there. You can sort of picture yourself as this girl floating over, seeing her neighborhood around her. So there's interesting, again, dichotomies and talking head songs, but they're definitely present here. Yeah, the, the difference between which point of view you want to take. You mentioned in the music video that you're seeing it from her point of view, flying. You can only see her hands and, and feet, but the lyrics seem to be from the singer's point of view, someone on looking, the event. So it's kind of great that you have two perspectives to interpret, and then the Talking Heads gave you both in different yeah. mediums. The song is more uh, on looking, second or third person, and the music video you get that first person perspective that Chris France was kind of talking about of someone actually flying around, which is always nice. Right. Right. No, it's really cool. Um, and a lyric I think that I really got fixated on was the last one, right? Joining the world of missing persons, missing enough mm. to feel all right. I always think that's cool. Right. Cause it does again, it could, adds a little bit like a, a nefariousness to the song, right? It's kind of dark. She disappears at the end. She floats off into, and I'm going to discuss a little more later, but she floats off into the netherworld, right? And she's gone. But at the same time, she feels good about it. It's almost liberating. I like that. Wow. Okay. Give me a second to process that. Yeah, please. Joining the world of missing persons. Missing enough to feel all right. Yeah, it does. It does introduce for such a overall good feeling song and a song that for many people might incite a feeling of freedom and independence. At the end, she's missing. And we're still from that onlooker's point of view. When someone you know is no longer found, they are missing. They're a missing person and we can't find that person. When we're searching for someone, we're always wanting to see their point of view. Where are they? If I can only look through their eyes for a second, I'd be able to find this missing person. But would she classify herself as missing? Maybe not. She's right where she wants to be if she feels all right. But she left this onlooker behind to pine for her to come back or try to find where she is. And I think it speaks to something too, like who hasn't had that wish at some point where they just want to get away, right? Where they just want to disappear and go off somewhere and not tell anybody. I think that anonymity, there's some, there's a freedom in it. In the case of this, right? She's taking, she's taking acid. It may be seen as something negative this could free her from that, right? It's not, it doesn't fit into the social frame. You shouldn't be doing drugs or may have been different during the 1980s, but at least that would be the zeitgeist now that that's a negative thing to do. And yet it's freeing, right? It's freeing to escape from those societal pressures, whatever it may be. And also just to escape in general, just to have no identity, just to be completely free. Is it sustainable? No, but we do all dream of it, right? We all dream of just picking up and leaving, I think. Something that's always stuck with me is an unknown author. I'm sure it can be found out there, but I think it was a female author looking up at a bird and thinking, you could go anywhere. Why would you stay here? And then they think, well, I could do the same thing, but I'm still here. 
Are you talking about, because I can always try to remember the, the book, Fly Me Away Home, I think that's what it's called. Oh. It's a picture book, a kid's book, but it's about this girl and her father who live in an airport and a bird. Is this it by any chance? I, I don't know where the author is, so it could be. I, I think I just okay. saw it, you know, oh, you just saw by itself quote. on the internet once. Yeah, so it's, a, it's, it's an amazing book and it's a kid's book, but it's a really like, you know, a, a um, can't think of a word. I'm looking at a serious topic. It's this girl and her father, and they're homeless, and they have to live in an airport. And she sees this bird trapped in the airport, and then finally it escapes at the end, right? It's able to get through one of the sliding doors, and it's free, and it gives her hope because she's like, if you can leave, maybe someday I can leave too. Mm -hmm. It's a really cool book, a really poignant book, yeah. um, kids' book. It's by that famous female author who's written a lot of kids' books like that, Eve Bunting. Eve Bunting. I was, this is such a tangential thing, but yeah. Eve Bunting is such a fantastic author name. I mean, I, I always love those names that seem like they, they are meant to be famous, or maybe it's a pen name. Like David Byrne is a good one. You yeah. Know? Like someone that sounds famous. So I was wondering if you had one that you, like if you ever, you know, became a famous, you know, scientist or, or artist, what would you go under? What would be your pen name? Oh man, I've never considered that. I'm going to have to come up with one. There's my stay hungry. Up. I made one up recently. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to talk over you, but no, I'm just please. so excited. I made one up it. recently. <laughs> I play the drums, mm -hmm. and me and my, a friend of mine, uh, we did a responsible break of quarantine where we went up to a, a more scenic area, and we played yeah. music together. And I thought if I ever you know, really made it, and I was traveling the world, and I needed to use a, a, a musician's name, it'd be Taco Kit. Kit. I think Taco Kit's good. Yeah, I like it. Taco, would you spell it T-A-C-O? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of cool, right? Yeah, because I knew a kid in high school. We were in a band together, actually. John Taco. But his last really? name wasn't spelled T-A-C-O. It probably wasn't pronounced that way, but everyone called him Taco. Yeah, if you have anything close to Taco when you're in middle school or high school, you're, you're going to be called Taco, I think. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> you're, I'm thinking of the name. So I wanted, I came up with Ved just now. Dev backwards, Ved. Ved is cool. I think Ved is a cool first name. I got to come up with a last name. But Ved. Take one up something. right now. Don't even sense yourself. Just go Ved and finish it. Ved pillowcase. <laughs> Ved dinger. Ved dinger. Ved dinger. Ved dinger. Dinger is like not that. very, uh, well, let's not censor it. Ved dinger and taco kit. Ved dinger. Ved dinger and taco kit. Ved dinger is kind of cool. I like it a lot. I'm going to, you know what? I like that. Ved dinger. I'm writing it down. <laughs> Keeping it for a rainy day. Um, fun little anecdote here, but it was New Year's Eve, right? So we were going bar hopping. And so we went to this party and it was in Brooklyn and you're supposed to pay to go in and you sign and you put your Venmo address there, but nobody's checking. So you wrote, write like random things. And I don't know why, but I wrote the name. What was it? It was like John Sykes. And it's always been a name <laughs> that I've had in my head. I don't know. It has no significance. John Sykes me. is really good. John Sykes. So that yeah. would be maybe another pen name. John Sykes is good. Syke. But it's it spelled, was right there. It's spelled S-I-K-E-S. -E At least that's how I spelled it in my... S-I? S-I-K-E-S. -E I would have done S-Y-C-E-S. -E makes more sense. You kind of get the cool high number Scrabble letter of Y. And, you know, it seems more believable if someone pronounces your name wrong first and then you correct them. Oh, is this yeah. John Sykes? It's actually Sykes. Sykes. Oh, you're John Sykes now. I'm sorry that I pronounced your fake name wrong, sir. Mr. <laughs> Sykes. That's Dr. Sykes to you. Dr. Sykes. Back to the song. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking of something now. It's interesting that she, she doesn't have a name. He just refers to her in that pronoun. Just something I'm picking up on now. Maybe because we've spoken so much about names. It's just interesting. And she was. I, you ever I, heard that phrase? And she was. Whenever I hear that, I always just want to say, and she was lying in the grass. You know, it's yeah, like, right. and things were looking like a movie. I guess you can put anything there. It's so poetic in a way that whoever, if you give that prompt to a hundred people, you probably won't get the same answer. Maybe me and you yeah, both right lying in the grass, but maybe something else. It's interesting too that you put that because it's, it would be that right. It's and she was doing something, but I always looked at it like and she was like, as in she was just existing, right? Like oh, was nice. as in existence. Yeah. So and she was period. You'd okay. list all these things, but and she was. She was just there. She was just in existence. She exists. And she was present. Maybe that's the final thing. Oh, this is so good. Yeah, yeah that's great. 
because that's what I really focused on and what I've been focusing on in quarantine. Yeah. For reference, this is May 28th of 2020, still in quarantine. Who knows when this will be released? Who knows if we'll still be in quarantine, but, you know, a little yeah. time capsule. You know, in this time of reflection and, and I don't want to say free time, but more time to yourself, I've been focusing a lot on just being present and being more reflective whenever I can. And yeah. this character of she seems like what I want to do. Do I want to take LSD in quarantine? No, no, I don't want to do that. Let's get that on the record. But she was present. She was living, seemed like the way she wanted to. And that's what makes this onlooker so impressed or interested. And she just was. And she wasn't like anywhere else. I think a, a few times she says like, she's right where she wants to be. She's moving with the world and she was right there with it. I feel like we've, a lot of ways we are stripped of that in natural day-to-day -day life and you know, work life and living in New York City, bustling around, trying to get from A to B. You lose the moment of it all. I mean, yeah, that's the big thing too, is when I think about the song, it's nice, there's something really nice about it. And it's because regardless of what this person's doing, she's just present in the moment. She's enjoying herself. Yeah, she's floating above and she has this new perspective, but there's this feeling and she was, she's just there. She's just experiencing life. She's not distracted, right? Just like, like you said, the hustle and bustle of life. She's just there. She's just experiencing it. You picture her. I don't know. At least I picture her outside in a field on a sunny day, right? It's summer. There's openness. It's nice. It's a feeling we're very separate from, especially now because the world, you know, there's so many distractions, whether it be technology or work, whatever it is, to just be there, to just be present is something I think a lot of us wish for. And again, it goes back to that idea of her disappearing, right? Um, that she goes missing. It's nice. You just get away from everything. You get away from all your problems, your issues, and you just are free. Yeah. Okay. So some of these lyrics that stick out to me that support this aspect of, of you know, free experience is she could hear the highway breathing. She was rising up above the earth, moving into the universe. She had a pleasant elevation. Of course, these could be drug imagery, but I think it's also uh -huh. descriptive of a pure experience and it doesn't necessarily have to be drug induced. People talk about runner's high. That's an example of just yeah. being so motivated by your own natural movement that you feel like your consciousness has been expanded and you're, you almost took a limitless pill and you just feel better than uh -huh. you normally do. <laughs> right. Have you ever had some of those experiences where you feel like your consciousness has been expanded or you feel, I like to call them moments of clarity where you really feel present. Yeah. I mean, that's what I think was interesting about this song too. And what you're saying is sometimes when you're just laying out somewhere, right? Like if you're just laying in a field, looking at the sky or laying on the beach, I don't know. I get that sense sort of, it's very free and it's very liberating. You get a wider perspective. That was just an experience for me too. And like the beginning of quarantine, when I was really indoors a lot, cause it wasn't as nice outside. It wasn't as warm outside. And finally it warmed up and I was able to walk in my neighborhood, right? And something about the world just not being within the house, within those walls, like holding you in, being free in that bigger environment did. And it made me, I, I can't really describe it because it's one of those sensations. And I think you agree too, is like, you can't put it into words, even though Byrne manages to do it here. The Talking Heads managed to do it here. But it was, it was just like total freedom. Things felt bigger. I didn't feel trapped, you know? Yeah. And uh, a lot of times when people have those experiences, it's like that thing uh, that's said in the song. And she was looking at herself and things were looking like a movie. People were always like, yeah, it was, it was wild. This surreal but real experience happened to me. It was like a movie. And when I've had these intense moments of presentness and clarity, it does kind of feel like it's a movie. It almost seems like your life is stylized yeah. or your movements have purpose like they do in movies like a camera movement or a character moving from A to B is purposeful and feels almost more real than the randomness of human life. It's just fa fascinating when people say, oh, it's like a movie to, to describe something that really happened and made them feel very present. Which is interesting too, because like in a movie, I think you think everything is very deliberate, right? Everything is for a purpose. Whereas when you're focusing yourself in the present, you're not worried about the future or past, right? You're focused on this moment right now. This is what matters. Also goes, I think it's like a major part of Buddhist meditation, that it's all about focusing on the present moment. I've never been able to really sit down and meditate. I know you have some experience doing it, so maybe you can speak to it a little bit. Yeah. But it's all about like accepting the thoughts that come into your head, considering them, realizing that they're a natural part of life, and just allowing them to like flow over you, really to be 
consumed by the present moment. Yeah, that's a great way of describing it. I just had a, a moment where my friend asked me, he, he's on this wellness journey for himself and he, was, he wants to get into meditating. He's like, what is, can you describe how it feels? And if I had, was able to record what you just said, it was, it was a great summation. I told him it's really just experiencing yeah. what is. There doesn't have to be a descriptor, mm-hmm. just like the title of the song. And she was, and you are when you're meditating. You just are being you. It's very, yeah. it's very nice and freeing. A, a quote I heard about these moments of clarity was, they are extremely gratifying and somewhat frightening. When you realize that life is really happening and you are a figure in it, all of a sudden the responsibility that isn't typically there that we almost push aside for smaller responsibilities, almost your responsibility as being a a living thing is now right in front of your face and there's no hiding from it. It can be very freeing, mind expanding, but also that's very scary to be faced with your own mortality. Our, Our minds and bodies work so hard to forget about it. Well, now I have to do it. I have to bring in some philosophy. There goes that major. So Heidegger talks about his whole philosophy is that he wants us to project ourselves to the future. He wants us to look at our decisions as if, or the authentic way of being is to look at our future, look at our lives, look at every decision from the future, from your deathbed and say, is this something that will bring me true happiness? But there's a little bit of a paradox there because he says in everyday life, we're immersed in the everyday, right? We're consumed by they. We don't realize that life is going on around us. We're in the present, but we're not aware of it. We're just sort of going along with the crowd. It is not until we project ourselves to, you know, an imagined deathbed to the end of our life that we're able to come back to the present. So you project yourself to the future to come back to the present and really embrace that this moment matters. This is necessary. This is part of my life. I am alive. I'm not immersed. I'm not concerned with what other people are doing, but I'm concerned with what I personally am doing. And that leads us to what he says is the authentic mode of being, right? our most authentic selves. So I think it's interesting too. I mean, this is an issue grappled with in philosophy as well. Is it better to be fut- project ourselves to the future, always be working towards something, or is it better to be in this moment right now and just appreciate the moment for what it is? Ah, Heidegger, being in time. <laughs> he, he, created, he made yeah, being yeah. in time, right? He wrote that. Exactly. I believe the phrase, because he, he was using such complex existential uh, concepts that he had to made up, make up words, correct? to describe them. I believe the right. most famous one is Dasein, of just being Dasein, a living yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. It's very fascinating, that description of death as motivator to live. Yeah. How would we, as a species, as a mammal, fare if mortality was more present in our everyday thinking? And I think quarantining and a pandemic has forced us to think that way a little bit more that death is natural and death is out of our control but if you social distance if you work towards life preserving life you do have some control over death but this is also what i've heard about psychedelic experience whether it be drug-induced or moments of clarity that are naturally um, produced that morality or I'm sorry, mortality, and therefore morality, is so very present when you experience these things. And that's why it's frightening. Are you scared of death? Or are you gratified because you're living and you felt that? Yeah, I mean, it's something that, you know, philosophers, scientists argue about. Is mortality what gives our life meaning? Is the fact that we're finite beings, that we only have a certain amount of possibilities open to us, that we can't do everything in the world because we're limited by time, does that give us purpose? Would we have purpose if we live forever? Ah, yes. I always think, I don't know how this would be received by someone outside, but I'm going to say it. Go for it. I imagine heaven, another Talking Head song. A place. Another great, <laughs> heaven scares me a lot. The biblical heaven of being conscious forever and being overall more or less happy and content forever scares me a lot. Firstly, I don't want to be conscious forever. I like the idea that eventually I will be no more and hopefully recycled back into the earth and create new life in a different way. And then to always be happy. I mean, of course, this is almost a straw man interpretation of heaven, but these are just the two basic ideas that scare me of, of not having that 
other range of emotion. But then, you know, rereading this quote of being extremely gratifying but somewhat frightening might also be a more realistic, if I can use that word, depiction of what it might be like to fear God, to be near God, and to be in heaven and, and dead and still alive in a new way. Right. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's always been tough for me because obviously I'm someone who, a science person, right? I'm very invested in the sciences and I try to look for logical explanations for things from science. But, you know, and, I, and people call it a cop-out, but I would say that I'm an agnostic, right? I don't identify with any religion, but, and I, I joke that I'd be pleasantly surprised if something is out there, but a part of me needs to believe that there's something bigger out there. But I think just why I call myself an agnostic is because I think our brains just aren't developed enough to understand things like infinity, right? Very interesting. I was reading actually go to that other major, the neuroscience major. I was reading this book about the evolution of consciousness. And this one evolutionary biologist was basically saying our brains are designed, are designed to understand the world we live in. So what he was doing this in, um, regards to was like quantum mechanics and astrophysics. Quantum mechanics, right? An electron, Heisenberg principle, that an electron, it can, it can have speed or a position, but it can't have both at the same time. Something like that. Again, I'm not familiar yeah. with it. Our brains just can't comprehend it. And then you go to the astronomical scale. Again, things like light speed, infinite distance. And what this guy said was these concepts are so hard for us is because our brains are meant to operate in the world we're in now, this concrete world around us the size that we're at. We can't comprehend things at the quantum level or the astrophysical level because we don't inhabit that. It's not the scale we operate on and our brains weren't developed to understand that. I, I was just, talking about this with a good friend like this weekend and I used the like, same phrasing. I feel very vindicated that you said it as well. Just yeah. like we, that's, they're such big and such small, but we operate on the scale that we live on and we have to for our whole lives. Yeah. But we can draw morality and a way of living on this scale from acknowledging, being present with, witnessing the largest and the smallest scales of the cosmos. And that's where I think I got a lot of my own morality and way of living was from this world seemingly devoid of meaning that is so much grander and so much smaller than us. Okay, where do I fit into it? extremely gratifying but also somewhat frightening what do i do with that information and then i was like oh okay i just have this life i have this experience i guess since i'm operating on the scale i am just like try to do that the best you can while also you know understanding that maybe you shouldn't have such a big of an ego because <laughs> you're not very yeah. large yeah i think that's a perfect description of it and i think that's what's nice about this song again right how does it end? He says, and she was, period, end of song. That's just it. At the end of the day, she was. She just existed. She was there. I don't know. It's, I just yeah. like that. It's very nice. A great intro. That's a great point because we were talking a lot about how the, the song quick starts and then also it just ends. You know, maybe just like a life. In the moment you're alive, in the moment you're dead, in the moment you're here, the, the next you're missing, you're gone. Gotta love a song with an ending. Yeah. It's nice, right? So maybe now, quick break for an ad. Let's take a quick break and uh, you know hear a word from our sponsor. Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, YouTube TV, Amazon Video, Apple TV. It seems like every day there is a new streaming service that you have to make up yet another fake email account for. Wouldn't it be nice to have all of these services in one place? Well, now you can with the newest service, Complete Access TV. With Complete Access, or CATV, you have all of your streaming services in one place with their own designated numbers that can be entered to view the particular service you want to see. With CATV, stream every service directly to your TV using our advanced new technology, cord attachable bound lightning extension, or as we like to call it, cable. It's convenient and does not even require Wi-Fi. With our bundles, you'll pay one flat rate for every streaming service out there, regardless if you're interested in them. To make sure you're paying the lowest price possible, shows on each streaming service are intersped with exciting 30-second announcements with information on the newest and coolest products to keep you up to date. Speaking of up to date, some of our streaming services will play TV at designated times, so you can look forward to seeing shows as soon as they come out. No need to worry about spoilers. 
watch CNTV and have all your channels, <clears throat> I mean streaming services, in one place. It is truly the future of television. All right, so now Kevin, Devin and Kevin die, is it, is it time? Yeah, let's die. All right, so thanks to our sponsors. Now it's time for Kevin and I to die. Quick reminder. <laughs> Continue. I have a die here, which I'm going to roll to find a character for Kevin and I, characters that have been picked out from specific topping, talking head songs. Then I'll roll again for our setting, and we'll just go with it and see what happens. So, Ready? Kevin, I'm going to roll for you first. You got a one, so you are a psycho killer. Fantastic. Perfect roll. And I got a six, so I am totally nude. <laughs> Perfect. All right. And do we have a setting? Setting I will roll for now. I just rolled two. We are in a large automobile. <laughs> Excellent. Perfect. All right. Okay, I'm driving. Kevin. Yeah, what's up? Kevin. Yeah? Sorry, I was in the back of the large automobile crawl up. My clothes just fell out the window. I was changing. Yeah. To get ready for that dance we're going to. Oh, and wow. They all I, see fell out the, the window. I see in the rear view mirror. All right. You know, it's fine. So when I picked you up on the side of the road, you said you wanted to head to Nantucket. Is that where you still want to run? Or do we want to stop at like a gap outlet now that you don't have any clothes? Well, the dance is Nantucket. And I want to be fashionably late. Hence why I got a random ride off the side of the road just to make sure that I wouldn't be there exactly on time. You know how it is. You're always you want exactly to be a fashionably late, fashionable date. Fashionable date. The nude. All right, I like that, man. Well, the nude was an accident, but (laughs) I'll roll with it. (laughs) Have you ever uh, hitchhiked before? My first time. My first time naked hitchhiking. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. This isn't my first time picking up hitchhikers. Uh, We usually, you know, I've picked up a lot. It's been good. It's it's nice to drive through these, you know, long stretches of empty cornfield with just a, you know, just two people in a car, driving alone towards an undisclosed location where no one knows where either of them are going. It's just so freeing, you know? It's really great. I was, cu- I was curious about it because this is a pretty big automobile. There's a lot of seats here. And I was, that was weird just to see that you were the only person in it. Yeah, there's a lot of seats in here for a lot of people. <clears throat> I think our turn to Nantucket was that way. Uh, I like to go a different way. Oh, okay. Off-road. Listen, I'm down for anything. I'm totally nude right now, so we're good. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Me too. You look up, I'm also nude. You are. And now we're it's all bumpy. We're going over cornfields. You know, like you know, when I get out into the corn, I just get so excited that I like to take my pants off. I mean, it seems like you're right up that alley as well. So. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. I mean, I was changing into my dance clothes, but you know, here we are, <laughs> totally nude, in this no, large automobile. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's in perfect. the cornfield. Actually, uh, seems like uh, the, the car is like, like running, slowing down, like it's all going bumpy. There's corn everywhere flying in and out. Yeah. You're eating one. I think, uh, I think the engine's busted. We're going to have to get out and check it out. So Do you have any floss? I got corn in my teeth. <laughs> Luckily, I always bring a little bit of floss with me whenever I do a murder. I mean, a uh, pickup. Here you go. Take the floss. Thank you. Oh, uh, yeah, man. This it's is stuck in there. Yeah. It'll be stuck. It really would be stuck in there. Keep eating the corn, buddy. It's going perfect. Yeah, man, this engine's totally fried. I'm like wiping away the smoke. Um, well, the engine's just filled with bananas. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, the problem is, is your pants are in it. Your pants are stuffed so in the engine. Around. When I threw it out the window, it like got caught around the antenna, went right into my engine, and blew up. This is my strategy. It's my signature uh, move. It's, co- it's called the no pants strangler. <laughs> Did you say the no pants strangler? I heard about him on the news. I hear what, he what? strangles people without pants. Uh, don't worry about the news. It's like on the radio right now. I'm like turning it off, <laughs> changing to like a different level. What did you, uh, what'd you hear about this uh, no pants strangler? Is he, you know, handsome? So no pants strangler. Yeah. It's not that he uses other items than pants to strangle people. I'm sure he'd be more than willing to strangle with people with pants. He isn't wearing pants when he strangles them. Oh. That's, that's actually kind of hot. I mean, really weird. But did they say anything about what he looks like? If he's tall, if he's short, if he's handsome, if he's, you know, wide-shouldered? Yeah, they usually don't mention those things on uh, newscasts about murders. Oh, but so you have I'm no sure idea you. what the no-pants strangler looks like? I just know he doesn't wear pants. Really I could be the no-pants strangler. <laughs> hey, are you... Are you the no pants strangler man? If I'm driving you around into these middle of the cornfield and we're both not wearing pants, I got to know if you're a strangler or not. 
I have corn. I'm chewing on corn again. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're mulling it over. If you really, yeah. you really I'm don't know about if you're the, the no pants strangler. I don't think so. I've okay. never strangled anyone. Oh, you should try it. Hey, here, come over here. I need some a second eye, second pair of eyes on this engine. Here, like, look really closely in this back part of the engine. How about right another there. ear? <laughs> like ear. There's no time corn. for corn puns right now, sir. <laughs> we need to check the engine right now. It's way in the back. There might be some corn lodge. Can you like look into the? You know, under the hood real quick. Yeah, let me get in there. I like slam it down on your head and you're all flailing around. You still are eating the corn. <laughs> <laughs> the cobs are flying off. Now I got you right where I want you. This isn't a strangle, but it's fine. It'll do. We're both not wearing pants. We're in the cornfield. I'm doing my job. I'm the no pants strangler, kid. You didn't know? Pop out. Thank you. So I didn't hear anything you said because I was stuck in the car. Thank you so much. By shoving the car roof on my back, the corn's that was stuck in my teeth, got out. <laughs> you were choking before you got in. <laughs> there you go. And you reel on my pelvis. I feel great. So let's get to that dance. I think the engine should be better now. Sure. There's just one problem. What could that be? I'm we don't have any clothes. Yeah. What'd you say? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what did, what did you think was the problem? You'd think with all these ears, we'd be better at hearing each other. <laughs> <laughs> da 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 Blop. It ends and a scene. little Looney Tunes closed circle. It's me choking you at the very end because I've had enough of your puns. There you go. I guess you did die at the end of that. <laughs> you did die. And then you had a terrible corn allergy and also died. No, you died of exposure because you didn't have pants on. There we go. Exposure. We both died. It was very hot. All the corn was popping. Okay. Welcome back. Devin, I've once heard The Secret of Life from a play made for radio. Based on the Dark Side of the Moon by Tom Stoppard, called Dark Side. And it takes place in half in a real psych oh no, a real philosophy classroom. And half of it is in a world of thought experiments. So the female lead, her name is Emily. She is a philosophy student learning moral philosophy in college. The male lead is the boy from the train experiment on the second track. That's interesting. So she, ethics man in the beginning, pulls the lever and kills this boy. And then she enters this thought experiment world. And they go all around the world. And the soundtrack is Dark Side of the Moon. It is like it was plucked from my brain and became the greatest thing ever. But eventually, they go to the fat man. And he knows the secret of life. And he says it to the audience. Would you like to hear it? Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to tune in next week on Devin and Kevin's Stop yeah. Making Sense. Uh, the secret of life is, this is not a drill. That's it. This is not a drill. This is not a drill. Like the tool? Because I was pretty aware of the fact that it was not a drill. Yeah. The, the, sh the wise shaman was uh, Tim Allen from Home Improvement. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is, is not, not a, drill. a drill. This is a screwdriver. Oh. oh, okay. It makes sense. I like it. This is not a drill. This is really happening. Yeah. And Tom Stoppard wrote that. That's his secret of life. I think that's really great to like, how dare you firstly, how dare you Tom Stoppard to make the secret of life. Also, thank you so much for making the secret of life because it's always been something I've liked to go back to that being present and living your life to the fullest, knowing that there's no second chance is what the secret is to living. I like yeah. that a lot. And that actually sort of goes into something that I wanted to bring in today too. Perfect. Um, a scene from a book that, really related to this, but also has to do a lot with these things we've been talking about, like the present moment, being here and now, the secret of life. So I may have mentioned it on the podcast before, but 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, my favorite book. I love it. I've read it now twice. I plan on reading it again. It was published in 1967. Um, and basically, quick summary of it is it's the multi-generation story of the Buendia family. And the town that their patriarch, Jose Arcadio Buendia, founded, Macondo. The style of the book is magical realism. So it's like a realistic vision of the modern world with fantastical elements. I've never seen the movie, but Birdman, I don't know if you've seen it. That's like an example of magical realism. Or another movie, Pan's Labyrinth. So when you combine this really grounded, realistic world with the fantastical, which is cool too, because sort of what we've been talking about with Anne, she was, reflects that. But although the book is a continuous novel, it really is a collection of stories of different members of the family. And one in particular that this reminded me of was the story of Remedios the Beauty, 
So Remedios the Beauty is one of the daughters. She's the third generation of the Buendia family. And she's the most beautiful woman in the Congo. And all, but although she is this beautiful, gorgeous woman and people are literally, the beauty really, literally causes people to die. So all these men in the town who are lusting after her die in horrific ways too. Like she's bathing and a man is talking to her. He, the house at this point is a little decrepit and it's falling apart in places. And the man manages to crawl over, up to the roof and is looking in and talking to her. But she's naive is like the way to describe her maybe. She just doesn't care. And she has a perfect, or not even naive, but she doesn't care. And she has this conversation with him. And he falls and he cracks his head on the bathroom floor and multiple people die lusting over her. Jeez. But again, yeah, so it's very dark and it's conflicting with this very light, happy woman. She walks around the house in barely any clothing. She has no shame. She's very naive. She's very innocent. And the townspeople just talk about her like she's, they believe she's mentally delayed is what he says, right? That because she's so naive, she's so grounded, she doesn't really care what's going on. She just wants to live. She bathes for the majority of every day. There must be something wrong with her. But Colonel Aureliano Buendia, who is one of the main characters of the book and throughout the book is engaged in civil wars, he basically spends his entire life fighting and starting wars, says about Remedios the beauty after he meets her, he says, she's the most lucid person I have ever met. It's as if she's come back from 20 years of war. Fascinating line. Just to finish yeah. this all up, um, and we'll go back to this line definitely, why it really resonated with me with Anne she was, is the end of her story. She's doing laundry outside, and then she just floats off into the sky, and she's never seen again. Wow. This ethereal being, she just floats off into the sky and disappears. So what do you make of that? And I'm just going to repeat that line again, right? This ethereal girl, not a care in the world. People think that she's some, there's something wrong with her because she's so grounded in now, she doesn't care about anything. But the colonel, this person who's fought in wars all of his life, says it's as if she has come back from 20 years of war. Hmm. Well, for starters, we've talked about this book, and you inspired me over a, uh, a late-night cafeteria dinner one night that I should read this book. And little did I know that we'd be facing 100 days of solitude only a few months later. Yeah. And this was the time. I, I bought the book shortly after, and it's been on my shelf, but I've, I picked it up recently. That's such a good allegory. The first thing I remind me of was maybe Eve from the book of Genesis. You know, before she eats from the tree of knowledge, they have no shame. They are naked. Mm -hmm. um, but it's only until they become aware of themselves and eat from the tree of knowledge do they become shameful of themselves and cover themselves up. But I just love the ending to Remedios the Beauty. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yeah, perfect. She just floats away. <laughs> she she doesn't have to away. witness death. I mean, I wonder if it is that a death? You know, going back to Dark Side of the Moon, a female vocalist represents death in, in the end of the A side of Dark Side of the Moon with Great Gig in the Sky. It's just this almost ethereal voice that trails off at the end. Is yeah. it is it giving up? Is it dying? Is it just floating away peacefully? It's it's really up in the air, no pun intended. And I like how Colonel Buendia, in order to understand this, goes to what he's familiar with, which is war. He's a colonel. And the only way he can understand this completely different lifestyle is to compare it to what he knows of, of, this, of a wise old soldier who's seen it. And when you know, faced so closely with mortality, their own mortality, they become lucid and more expanded of knowledge. And it kind of just supports everything we've been talking about, that mortality equals consciousness and morality great great poll yeah i mean and i because it didn't really resonate me with, with me the first time but since we've started our conversation this idea of being immersed in the present moment right because that's all she cares about that's why everyone thinks there's something wrong with her because she's so innocent she's just completely concerned with she eats whenever she wants she spends the majority of her day in the bathtub she walks around the house naked and free she just doesn't care she's just completely in the moment and then she just floats off into the distance. Is it because, is that her end? Is that her death? Is she too pure for the world? And again, that idea, it's as if she's come back from 20 years of war. That after experiencing 20 years of war, a person is just, doesn't care, right? They don't care about the future. They don't care about the past. They're just completely living in this moment. It's an interesting story and it doesn't have a clean answer. 
I mean, it's open for interpretation, which is many of the stories in the book are, and I recommend everyone give this book a try. I'm glad to hear Kevin's given it a read now. All of these characters, these archetypes of Romedios, Eve, the she from the song that we originally were talking about, are female characters. They have a feminine energy to them, but also a, an energy of experience and independence. And I just find that fascinating that it is the female that becomes the literary and musical figure of freedom. It's very interesting because in real life, women have to fight for rights and freedoms. But when, uh, well, you know, all three of these, this song and she was, the Bible most likely as well, and 100 Years of Solitude are written by men. Yeah. And it's men writing women. That's the statement. I don't know what else, where else to go, but I'm just thinking. Our minds were in the exact same place, like as soon as you started bringing that up, because that's what I was thinking about too. And recognizing the fact that we're men talking about a woman's experience. But the three examples we're talking about right now, the narrators are men discussing the female experience, giving a voice to the female experience. So acknowledging our own limitations and discussing this, I think it's interesting. And I think because society, right, talk about things like the male gaze, the role of toxic masculinity, things like that, men do put a very specific place for women in society. And in these three songs, in these three examples, you have the women escaping from it by just floating away. Because we do, we limit, and you know, with many people in society, limit into these very specific categories. And the she and then she was, Remedios, the person in um, Dark Side, they're escaping, oh, yes. they're getting off into Emily. this distance. Emily. And, and the singer from Great Gig in the Sky. Great Gig in the Sky, I'm sorry, right. And that's again, I mean, acknowledging the fact that we're talking about, is it us as men are saying the only way for a woman to escape is to fly off into the sky yeah. to escape the strict categories we put for yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. That's so true. Okay, let's start breaking down their own masculinity. Um, it's that time of the podcast. Devin and Kevin break down their own bias, and it's my favorite part of the show. Um, I'm, I love that you brought up the male gaze because I was thinking about that a lot during this song. Let's put a disclaimer out there. But I don't have to think about it from the observed perspective. I, I think about it from the observer. And I thought about it a lot in this song because I thought there was a male, and it's David Byrne singing with a, a male voice about a female. And I was just contemplating how this is the male gaze. Is it, I think idealizing women is constricting just as much as I think, you know, if we're, like, we're going back to being lucid and real truly realizing what a f person is, a woman is, a female is, that's really what is doing the best for them, you know, as, as an onlooker, as a, as a friend, as a, a partner. It's just being real. And to idealize them is also, it could be a problem. I mean, this is, this is art, this is literature, but this is where we, you know, this becomes conversation and, and worldview. So, the idealizing, the floating away. I mean, is it saying, let's just throw this out there. Is it saying that the colonel, only men can really face death and death is too gruesome for a beautiful, perfect woman. You know, like they can't handle it. I mean, this isn't something I think, but it could be some sort of bias that underlies male art and male perception. Interesting. I was just reading an essay um, the other day about this, about basically women's depiction in artwork. And how the woman, at least in Western artwork, because this isn't, it's very interesting, actually. So in Western artwork, the woman is always an object for the male's observation, right? In Eastern artwork, recognizing the problems that come with saying Western and Eastern, the woman is an active participant. She has, and this isn't in all cases, of course, this is a generalization. She's a part of the artwork. She's moving, whereas in Western artwork, she's very often passive. She's literally there just for the man to look at. And they take this a step for further, saying it's ingrained in our culture and saying that women constantly see themselves as having to be viewed by others. But it was just an interesting take on artwork. And you do, you look at all those classical paintings. I think of that classic, I think it's Botticelli, with Venus when she's coming out of the water and she's standing on the clamshell. She's there for the male's observation. She's not active. She's sort of stuck in that position because it's yeah. a male painter painting it. So this active versus passive role. And there is something passive too about just floating away. 
there's something active and, and she was, it is active. She sort of is able to fly out of there. In a hundred years of solitude, it's a little more passive or maybe it seems that way, maybe it's not, but she floats off into you know, the sky. It's interesting. Yeah, and we were talking before this, we were talking a little bit about 100 Years of Solitude, and I said my favorite character so far, I'm only a little bit in, is Ursula. She's real, you know? She's yeah. always grounded. She's always trying to talk sense into her family of men who are just, like, off studying alchemy and buying the newest crazy gadget from the traveling clans. But she's, like, starting a business, keeping the house together, and even in the wildest circumstances, keeping a level head. So there is fully realized three-dimensional female characters in this male-created art, but it still needs to be acknowledged that there's male bias. I'm, I'm, list I'm watching right now Avatar The Last Airbender. I've put this on the list. I'm going on a bit of a tangent, but no, on, the cover, on the cover of 100 Years of Solitude, firstly, Nobel Prize winner. Secondly, a review from the New York Times. This is interesting because it's going to loop back to what we talked about before. Yeah, yeah. That along with the book of Genesis, 100 Years of Solitude should be mandatory reading for all of the human race. Yeah. I throw Avatar The Last Airbender in there as well, all written by men. But the Avatar also has these fully realized, powerful, strong female characters. Katara. I just watched the season one finale, spoiler alert, if you don't want to know about the season one finale, where the princess of the Northern Water Tribe literally becomes the moon <laughs> and that's yeah. what she, she is the moon. and it's all about she restores balance to the universe but she becomes the moon spirit it's badass yeah acknowledging bias but also acknowledging when good art is made dark side of the moon and she was after the last airbender the book of genesis all really good art 100 years of solitude as well but biased I mean, I, well, we've spoken about this before. I can't remember what episode we spoke particularly, but when we were speaking about truth, when did we speak about truth? you remember what song? may have been Cross-Eyed and Painless because we were talking about facts, right? And oh, can, yes, yes. It was cross okay. And we talked about it. You could never escape that. I mean, you know, it's something we have to recognize. There's always going to be biases. There's always going to be these internal biases. Our experience, right? The context we're in, it structures the way we think. It structures the way we talk about things. I mean, the conclusion we reached in that episode, and we're reaching a similar one here, is that the best thing you can do is expose yourself to as many voices as possible so you can get those perspectives. If you're writing a novel about someone and you're able to speak to or a group of people, then speak to that group of people, gain some insight into it. It's a problem when you write from a completely, when you're just writing from your imagination, right? Or writing from your mind. That was a big problem with those early anthropologists, they called them armchair anthropologists, is that they would talk about these groups of people that they had no experience with. They completely just, they'd extrapolate from other people's writings on them, but they would have never met them. And they spoke about them from a point of authority. You're not giving a proper, you're never going to do justice to them. So I not we're not saying, I guess, that if you're a man, you can't write about a woman. But if you never heard the voice of the person you're writing about, then yeah, it's not going to be accurate. Then it's not going to be true. Yeah, going back to this, what I like about, you know, how what you just said made me look at the song is that we do get an onlooker's perspective, but we do, like we said before, get part of her perspective. The song states as a fact that she's enjoying this. She feels all right. She's floating. She's right with the world. I mean, is this idealized? Is this speaker idealizing this feeling or is the point of view coming from herself? In some aspects, it seems like she is enjoying it. And she's saying so. She is putting out this energy that makes it fact, which I like. The world was moving and she was right there with it. She had a pleasant innovation. She was moving out in all directions. It seems like she's rolling with it. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, she's free. She's moving. She's in sync with the world. She's able to float off and be free. And just like we were saying, what's so comforting about the song is just the fact that she was. It's not someone's telling her what to be. It's not that she has to be a certain way. She just exists. She just was, she just is. And that's really all that matters. You can float off into obscurity, but that's it. <laughs> Take your pick. What do you want to do? If I can bring in just uh, something I thought about. Yeah. How does Tina Weymouth fitting into the band influence that? She is a female. At this point in the talking its career, the songwriting is more democratic tina is an active contributor to the song she hears all the songs she plays all of them 
does having one fourth of the band be female influence how this song could be interpreted that it it could be it's it's co-written by tina weymouth well i mean i think there's studies that have shown that just having one diverse perspective in the group does add more diversity to the overall ideas having that other voice having that voice to say this isn't an accurate representation or this really is gives her a richer experience so i think it is it's beneficial that she's in it this song is again it's it's not controversial but if it was a more controversial song i think it would say something that they do have a female voice in the band someone who could say that this isn't right or this isn't appropriate and maybe i don't know maybe the song did go through renditions where she stepped in but it's it's interesting too because i'm going back to the thing you said in the beginning that the narrator's separate the narrator's likely a man and it's someone observing it so we can tease that out too it's not a man writing a female character but it's a man discussing his perspective on a female character. Yeah. Could that be the overall point of view of if we leave it with the man experiencing the feminine, if he's speaking truthfully to his experience, that's something, but is his truth different than her truth? And I think that's, I guess maybe the overall conversation we're having because overall this song is like overall an easy listen. It's like a nice head bopper. Yeah. It's not, like you said, it's not controversial. It's not like up there with the more existential breakdowns that the talking heads are at the forefront of their careers. But overall, it's just an easy listen. You can play at a barbecue. Well, how about this? I'm not saying talking heads went here. They likely didn't go here. But this is where we're going from it. It is literally a different perspective. She's looking from the sky. He's looking from the ground. Yeah. Speaks to the separation from the male and female experience, right? Look at that physical separation. One is up in the sky, one is from the ground. It is completely separate. They're discussing the same thing, they're talking about the same thing, but from totally different backgrounds, totally different points of view. Again, do I think the talking heads were thinking this when they wrote the song? No. As usual, we've gone very deep into it. But I think that's an interesting interpretation. Yeah, is the is the, biased, is the bias acknowledged in the song where the, the onlooker is literally at a different point of view, physically separated from and, and mentally separated from this person? That's honest songwriting, I think. Yeah. Do we just do we just bail them out? Yeah, so, I mean, I think we've reached an interesting point here. I didn't think we were going to go here, but I'm glad we did. Um, but that idea, right, of men writing about women, of also being in the present moment, really embracing the here and now, anonymity floating away. Interesting. I think we've gotten some interesting places. Any last words? Yeah, I'd like to do an exercise here. Yeah. I'd just like to know, you know, we reflect, we, we cover a lot of ground, we're both you know, well-spoken, intelligent individuals. Let's give ourselves some credit. Mm-hmm. What, like what's like, you know, what have you been doing to, to, to get to this point? What have you read? What have you done to like acknowledge your presence in the world, to acknowledge your humanity? What are the things you go back to? For me, it's like, this is not a drill. You know, what, what keeps you grounded and doesn't, you know, that makes you not fly off into the air and never to be seen again? So I like what you said, flying off into the air, right? So what we do in this podcast a lot is we talk about something and we go into these random places and we go deep down into something that can be not even related at all, but we get so caught up in what we're saying that we forget to listen. A big thing for me, a big thing that I think I've learned, and I've learned it from messing up, from saying the wrong thing, is that you just need to listen to people. We came to this conclusion before, but you don't learn things by talking. Sometimes it's just important to listen to people with different experiences from you. Because again, that grounds you in reality. It makes sure you, makes sure you don't fly off into some distant space, and you learn a lot more because of it. What we like to ground this show in is me and Devin, you know, say this is the song we want to do this week over text. We we talk a little bit over the week, and then yeah. we go off into our own world, especially because we're physically isolated in the world right now. And then we we have all these thoughts. We build them up. We build them up, and then they expel out into each other's ears. And luckily, we both listen to each other and and are like, yes. I also think that I also think this and we're able to keep the energy flowing and, and get to, use it to dig deep and deep deeper and deeper. It's really yeah. great. Kev, how are you? What's going what's keeping you hungry? How are you staying hungry till next week? 
I'm going to acknowledge the conversations I'm having in quarantine because conversations for me have been so vindicating recently. Talking to good friends, talking to family members whenever we have them because they're such a rare thing now. And when we have them, they, people are so ready to ex ready to expel these deep thoughts they're having and reflections about about their own experience. Yeah. So uh, this conversation was really cool for me because Angie was, it's like not one of my top talking head songs, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I listened to it. Uh, but if it would come on like on a random shuffle, I'd probably skip it. Oh, but this really? has given me a whole, yeah, I'm not really a big fan of it, but this has given me a whole new appreciation of it and a whole new way of looking at it. And I'm also going to keep thinking about what you said. This is not a drill. Nice. You know, we talked about this present moment. This is life. And especially now when we're in this strange moment, where we're so restricted in what we can do, reminding ourselves that although this is a strange moment, we still have to make the best of it because this is our life. Of course, when I say make the best of it, whatever is best for you, however best you can cope with this moment we're in because at the end of the day, we do have to cope because this is a very stressful time, but realizing that this is not a drill, this is life. Life hasn't been put on hold because this virus is happening and how am I gonna make the best of my current situation? Fantastic. It's really nice. Yeah. Listeners, what keeps you grounded? Um, what gives you energy? What keeps you from flying off into space? And what puts you in that, uh, that mental space of where you almost want to fly off? Like the, you know, the female character we've been talking about. Any closing thoughts, Devin, or should we end it there? I think we can end it there. Um, I've been Ved Dinger. And I'm Taco Kit. This is and so much Ved and Taco Stop Making Sense. Let's go. Mm -hmm.